Echo's Box Podcast is not meant to be or claiming to be a good place for therapeutic advice. The host is not a licensed therapist and is not offering any services or advice related to mental health in a professional manner. The content discussed on Echo's Box is commonly highly explicit due to the real nature of expressing honest emotions. While we don't mean to offend anyone, the reality is these discussions might be triggering to many people. Out of respect for all, please do not listen if this content isn't right for you, and forgive us if you have a poor experience. Keep your brain healthy. Hey everyone, welcome back to Echo's Box. This is episode six, and today we're going to be talking about uh, medication as it relates to major depressive disorder. In the last episode, we talked a lot about depression, dove into my depression a little bit, and today I want to talk about all kind of the medication. Uh, so this will kind of allude to some of the things that I talked about in the uh, Please Zanny episode. Uh, so if you haven't watched that, that's a good one to or listen to that. Uh, it's a good one to, to reference back to, but uh, ultimately this will be a completely different topic. Uh, there are just some kind of branching things and, and things I slightly mentioned, but this will kind of stand on its own still. Um, but before we get started, the song you were just listening to is by a hardcore band I'm in called Opt Out. And the little uh, kind of second half in there, that was that was some of my vocals again. But uh, that's by one of my other buddies. That's his main project, and I'm just in it. And so I just want to kind of showcase that because it goes hard as fuck. Uh, it's a very dope hardcore band. That man comes out with some bangers. Like I'm super stoked to be a part of it and and put out some more music. And we've got some stuff coming on the way from that band, so keep it out. It's opt out. If you look for us on Instagram, YouTube, etc., it's all all on there. We're on all the Spotify's, etc. Uh, but yeah, that one's called Soul Split by Opt Out. So if you like that kind of music, go for it. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're going to dive into medication today. And this has been a long um, journey for me. And it's kind of coming to a weird crossroads here lately, which is why exactly this is exactly why I wanted to talk about it is because of the crossroads. And um, normally I probably wouldn't make a whole episode dedicated to this, but I've had such a roller coaster of an experience that I feel like it's worth sharing. So hopefully you all get something out of this. If not, um, and consider this a filler episode. It's not going to be all that interesting if I'm completely honest with you compared to some of the other stuff. But if you're somebody who struggles with depression or somebody who is worried about medication to begin with, I feel like I have some insights that some people are scared to share or scared to even uh, pursue to begin with to get the experience that I've gained. And uh, while I have my own personal preference of where I think this journey is going, um, I ultimately have seen a lot of other success stories as well and heard a lot of success stories and read some stuff as well. So it's like, it, I'm very torn. I, I'm not like, you're going to get the idea from this that I am against medication and that is not at all the case. And I'll be very explicit on what I mean uh, by the things that I say and hopefully be able to kind of explain my perspective on this. But ultimately I think it's kind of a personal battle. And I think that's the conclusion that, that I've drawn from all this. And I'm, I'm disappointed in a lot of ways. I'm jealous in a lot of ways. Uh, but I ultimately have to let that kind of stuff go because it's my brain and my journey and that should be the same for you. So keep that in mind as I'm, I'm explaining things just because I had a specific experience doesn't mean you will. Just because I had a negative or a positive reaction to something doesn't mean you will because there's are other people that have had uh, a tremendous relief from uh, some of the stuff I went through that I had pain and it's part of the risk of, of dealing with all this kind of stuff. So yeah, let's dive in and... and to start off, I kind of want to talk about the history of SSRIs. And SSRIs are interesting because um, before we had modern antidepressant treatments, we had other treatments as well. And these treatments were actually pretty effective, um, but they had to be administered in such a controlled way uh, that there was a lot higher risk. So a lot of times there was much higher risk for uh, whether it was like an overdose issue or a brain chemical issue or other severe side effects and, and poor reactions. The, the point being that these 
medications and these types of treatments had to be administered under direct doctor care. You could be just prescribed a pill and move on. And I believe it was in the 1980s, 1988 specifically. I could be wrong about that. So don't quote me on that. Go look it up for yourself. But uh, that's when Prozac came out around that time. And Prozac was a game changer in the, the mental health space because for many people it did provide relief from uh from depressive symptoms and the it was one of the first ones on the market that doctors could just kind of like safely prescribe um and safely i I put in pretty quotes uh, pretty big quotes there because with all medication not just mental health medication but we have to realize with all medication there are side effects uh, especially for people that it doesn't um react well with and that's just reality and it it gets kind of scary when you're talking about mental health compared to something like i don't know for example a lot of people don't realize ibuprofen can uh help uh you know helps relieve pain but can also lead to uh blood clots and other issues as well those are major side effects if you take it too often or too much it's actually not a, a good pain reliever to do very often and some people who are hypersensitive to that are told not to take ibuprofen explicitly and stick to tylenol or leave or or other other options that that do similar things, even though ibuprofen may be effective for what they need, they just can't. Their, their body's not compatible with it. So th- that's true of all drugs, and I don't want to downplay the effects that we're going to talk about here. But that is something to consider. Uh, if, if you've learned anything from watching the Please Zandy episode, and if you haven't, uh, or watching, listening, <laughs> if you haven't listened to that one already, please do. I, I kind of go over drugs as a whole and uh, and kind of the perspectives on that and the, the generalization of the idea of how drugs impact you and your your journey with that is very personal. It's very distinct, but there are general safety measures and mechanisms to follow. And so I just harp on that. Uh, as we go through this, but this today we're pretty much exclusively talking about antidepressants. So, what the heck even is an SSRI to begin with? So, SSRI is an acronym that I've been tossing around, and it stands for the Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitor. And these are some of the most commonly described antidepressants that are out there, and um, they they come in all shapes and sizes. And there's a lot of variants, and I have taken quite a lot of them and uh, had no success but for some people they are very successful and so I want to kind of talk about my my journey with that thus far but um, what what they do is they treat depression by increasing the levels of serotonin in your brain so that's where the their selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors um, and so basically they um, block the reabsorption of serotonin uh, so more serotonin gets created. So basically the neurons that are receiving the, the serotonin, uh, they get the serotonin that your body naturally creates, but then your body, the what the drug does is say, hey, we haven't had any more serotonin lately, even after it maybe just made some, and it'll uh, be like, oh, crap, uh, those neurons need some more serotonin, so we're going to send them over. And uh, they, they're pretty... Um, variable uh, depending on what you take because they all while they all are doing fundamentally the same thing the way they go about doing the reason there's all these brands and and different dosages and different longevities of things is they all work a little bit differently and i'll describe some of the ones i've taken and and how they're different from each other as we go here but um they they exist uh and are different because they differ in potencies and uh they different how they block those reuptake inhibitors and 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 also how quickly uh they they impact how quickly your body is able to um tolerate or metabolize or digest the drug basically um some of the common side effects of ssris are anything from like a headache to nausea and diarrhea drowsiness dry mouth insomnia increased suicidal thoughts sexual problems such as uh you either have reduced sexual desire or you um can't uh, have an orgasm quite easily or you, you have difficulty maintaining erection and this is true of males and females and it, and it can have an impact on your appetite either in a loss or gain uh, area but um, I glanced over that one thing that's pretty much on SSRI but this increased suicidal thoughts doesn't doesn't that seem like the opposite of what they should be doing yeah well it, that's true and uh, the reason that happens is because you got to realize you're uh, adapting your brain chemistry and so when you're changing the amount of serotonin you're bringing in serotonin is supposed to be the happy chemical 
but when things kind of go sideways and this is this is just a theory on my part i haven't really read into this so take this with the biggest grain of salt like just a dump of salt um but basically my my understanding based on my own experience and based on what the drug does is either maybe a thought of suicide or self-harm is considered a serotonin inducing thing for those with with depression because we think oh yeah i would like to die right so so uh i know that's kind of a scary thought but that is valid like you feel a sense of relief from that so that's my one theory on why they might do that uh my other theory is that maybe they just kind of get the serotonin reuptake stuff wrong or maybe your brain's not compatible or maybe you are producing enough serotonin now you're getting an influx uh which can lead to some other issues but um ultimately maybe that that brain chemistry flip-flopping around is is what what would cause those kind of things but they also cause all the other issues too um now what's interesting is you can have way too much serotonin so one of the fun safety facts i'll give everyone is if you're doing disassociatives of any kind whether it's as simple as something like dxm or all the way to ketamine and you're taking an ssri uh, you probably shouldn't do those because you what what a lot of dissociatives do is increase your serotonin levels, and that can lead you to serotonin syndrome. And serotonin syndrome does not feel good. I've fortunately never had it, but basically you get really really sick, and you uh, you're weak and in pain, and it lasts for quite a while, or it can at least. It can last for a couple of days if it's really mild, but it can last for weeks if it's not. And in severe cases, it is life-threatening. You will die uh, if you have way too much serotonin. And so that's a lot of, that. that's one of the things that people get uh, kind of messed up with this stuff, especially if they're thinking things like, uh, whether, whether it's something like Molly or MDMA or psychedelics or then, uh, like I said, dissociatives, uh, they can have an impact on your uh, serotonin receptors in a positive way on their own, but when mixed with an SSRI, it can be very dangerous. And so that's why I had to stop doing some of the recreational drugs I like to do, uh, because it's, it's not safe. It's life-threatening. And so, um, there, while, while there are safe things that you can do, I'm not going to recommend anything or, or look up the compatibilities for you. You're on your own there. I do not want to put anyone's life in harm. Uh, but the point is usually if you're on an antidepressant or any kind of, uh, medication for your mental health, you should probably just focus on that. Uh, you probably shouldn't do anything else. Uh, and, and in my case, uh, do as I say, not as I do, cause I, uh, occasionally I'll have, have weed or, or something else. And, and I'll, honestly, anything I do, I'm fairly responsible. I'm not going to jeopardize my mental health, uh, with, with any substance cause I'm not out here doing crazy crap, but um, at the same time, I am very, very selective and sparse with any recreational activity I take into because I take my mental health very, very seriously. It's not cool for me to fuck up the progress I've made, but because I wanted to have a good time, that's not, it's just not worth it to me. Um, and so that, I, I issue the same advice to you. If you're taking a medication, stick to the medication, let it do its thing. And once you're kind of, if it works for you, great get used to it, kind of fill out your life and how it goes from there. And then take things a day at a time from, for what you want to do for fun. Uh, whether it's food, wine, booze, drugs, whatever you're doing, make sure whether it's compatible or not. Cause especially like alcohol, alcohol is the common thing. Like I mentioned a lot of recreational drugs, but alcohol is the thing that has impacted me the most. Cause I drink, uh, fairly regularly and I, I enjoy drinking and I do it responsibly and I, I don't have any issues with it, but when you're on an SSRI, you can't drink quite as much. So I have to be con- cognizant of that because I have drinking too much before when I first started my medication and I felt like shit the next day. And so I don't like that <laughs> is what I figured out. So I, I drink less than I used to. And uh, I, like I said, I already drank a responsible amount. It's not like I'm drinking every single day all the time, but like when I go out with friends or I throw a party or something, I, I like to drink. But now if I'm at a party, I have to like take it down a shot or a drink or two and, and not quite go, go quite as hard because it can be very painful and even life-threatening. It's not okay or cool to play around with that kind of stuff. Uh, so that that's just kind of where I'm at and how I deal with, with all that kind of stuff dealing with SSRIs. But I've been on quite the journey and had to learn a lot to get there in the first place. So that's kind of what I want to dive into next here is my personal journey with SSRIs. Before I do that, um, I want to mention NDRIs for a second. So NDRIs are uh, 
norepinephrine and dopamine reuptake inhibitors. And they are um, great antidepressants uh, because they don't cause some of the side effects that the others do because they're not dealing with serotonin specifically. So, for example, on an NDR, I could totally take a disassociative. You probably still shouldn't because you need to recognize the... uh, the impact on your brain and your well-being, but I could do that and it's not going to cause a uh, serotonin overdose or a serotonin syndrome. Uh, but they still do have uh, things like uh, increasing your heart rate, which for me increased anxiety. And I'll talk about that. Um, drowsiness, vomiting, uh, still the same risk of suicide warnings and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh, they are specifically not okay with MAOIs or, or monoamine, I'm not even saying that right, monoamine oxidase inhibitors. I had a reference note up there to help me pronounce that. I'm not, I'm great with the acronyms, not so good with the names, right? Um, <clears throat> so taking consideration those kind of things, but I'll talk about the NDR a little bit more when we get there, but let's dive straight in. Um, the first SSRI I was prescribed was Effexor, and man, did I ever have a terrible time with that. So before I started medication, I was talking to my uh, my uh, therapist a lot on how we should go about doing that. And what I learned is that your uh, your primary care physician can prescribe you basic antidepressants if you have uh, a recommendation. Now, there's limitations to that, but that's kind of where we started. I was like, I'm kind of scared of trying medication. But the thing about medication is while there are a lot of risk with it, you also have to consider the state of your mental health. And for me personally, my depression is so bad and so painful that I would do just about anything to get relief from that. So while I didn't like the idea of altering my brain chemistry with medication, I also hated my depression. I'm in a constant battle with it. That's why it sucks. Um, And I don't want to let it win for any reason. I want to be me and I want to uh, live live through all this and and enjoy my life and not live every day feeling empty. So, uh, I I talked about that with my therapist and I was like, Hey, all right, let's, let's give it a shot. Here are my concerns with the medication. Uh, here's, here's what I'm worried about. And what, well, ultimately like my concerns and stuff were, were things like addiction, uh, things like the side effects and the increased suicidal thoughts and the increased, uh, or the decreased appetite in my case, or the increase in insomnia, because these are all things that I have as part of my depression anyway. And obviously boosting those negative side effects seems like it's doing the opposite of what I wanted. Uh, So I I voiced all those concerns and my therapist was like, okay, but what if it works? Because for a lot of people, when when these medications work, they work really well and they get the relief they need and and it's well worth it. Uh, And so basically the question is, am I willing to take that chance? And what what can I do if it doesn't work? So if it doesn't work, the good news is that you can totally just come off of it and it'll be okay. And I'll talk about what I do to kind of get through that because it's, even though it will be okay, it's, it's not easy. You do get withdrawals from it and that'll be a, a, a main talking point here in this episode. Um, so with that, I went to my primary care physician and was like, hey, my therapist has diagnosed me with depression. Um, they would like me to start trying some kind of medication and they will then talk to you for a little bit, or if it's a good, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but if it's a good physician, they'll talk to you a little bit about what you're feeling. Now, remember, they're your primary care physician. They're not going to be your therapist, but they want to get a good understanding to make sure that the diagnosis matches up with the medicines they're going to be interested in prescribing you with. So mine went with Effexor Extended Release first, and basically the difference between Effexor Extended Release and the normal Effexor is normal Effexor, especially if you're just starting out, you may have to take it more than once a day. Uh, because it releases pretty much immediately. Extended release just has a larger dosage that releases over an extended period of time throughout the day, so you don't have to uh, take it again quite as frequently. Let's take it once a day. Now, as you're taking any of these medications that I talk about today, everybody's starting dosage is going to be different, and everybody's increased dosage thereafter, if they stick with it, is going to be different, and everybody's amount of times they have to take it during the day is going to be different. But commonly, most of the time, doctors like to prescribe a pill that you only have to take once a day for the general population because it's easy to remember. Um, so that's what the effects or extended release was in my case. And they, they thought it'd be a good start. And within the first week, my panic attacks went through the roof. So I've, uh, I've mentioned anxiety in the previous episode and we're, we're still going to have a whole episode on that. Um, so I'm used to having panic attacks from time to time. But anxiety is very much a symptom for me. And my main issue is depression. I'm a fairly calm individual. 
Uh, I keep a, a pretty level head and listen to reason, but I sometimes the thoughts circulate too much and I freak out and I, I have a hard time getting a grasp on that. Lately, it's been better, but when I was on stuff like Effexor, Effexor increased that exponentially to where I was having very painful panic attacks all the time, physically painful, on the ground. It was bad. And uh, when I mentioned that, that's when they prescribed me Xanax to help not only combat the panic attacks, but like, okay, well, we need to get you off the Effexor and quick too with minimal withdrawal symptoms so we can switch to something else. Um, and that's kind of where the theme came in is basically they gave me Xanax as a, a bridging tool and something to help with the anxiety symptoms. And we kept hopping through medications. So the next one we tried was Wellbutrin. And this is where NDRIs come into play. So I had quit all of the, the I had mentioned in Please Annie about my, my usage of different recreational drugs in the past. And uh, one of the things I, I made sure I was already off of any recreational drugs before I started even talking about medication. But one thing I made specific note of uh, with NDRIs and SSRIs was making sure I didn't do dissociatives. And uh, dissociatives I didn't do with SSRIs, but then with the NDRI, I could take it again. Um, and I think I did use it once during that time frame when I was going through it. But ultimately, like I said, at the start of all this, I didn't really want to use anything else because I'm trying to let the medicine work. The reason, though, that I started using the because this medicine did not fucking work for me. Um, well, Butrin really did me in hard. It was the worst one out of all of them that I've taken. And a lot of things happened. Not only did it increase my insomnia and my panic attacks, but the panic attacks were physically painful like imagine every single evening spending an hour or two on the floor in agonizing pain um whether it's on your bathroom floor or in the shower because you try to take a shower to to relieve the anxiety or maybe it's curled up in bed whatever it is agonizing physical pain and panic attacks that's what Wellbutrin did for me which was so surprising because i had heard nothing but good things about it Wellbutrin's often a very good alternative also uh, in some cases, rare, and these are rare, but some uh, cases it can help with ADHD. Some people are prescribed it to help quit smoking. Some people are prescribed it to help with anxiety. And for depression, it seems to be fairly effective. And same for anxiety as well. I know I had uh, I have some family members that took it and, and raved about it. They thought it was good. So they were excited when I got on it. It did not react well for me. And I actually envy those it worked well for because I had high hopes for it. So this is one of those cases where I'm not saying, you know, screw effects or screw Wellbutrin. These drugs are terrible. I'm saying they just didn't work for me. And it was awful in my experience. But it's different for everybody. So just because I'm over here talking about my own experience, I'm not shitting on any of these things. That's kind of my point. It's this is just what happened for me. So Wellbutrin wasn't compatible with me. It didn't work out. It made things way worse. And because it made things way worse, about midway through when I was taking this, it took for about a month, um, I went back to a dissociative and did that to get some fucking relief. Uh, and after I did that, I was like, okay, well, I, I'm going to transfer off of this anyway. When I tell my doctor about it, I can't keep up uh, this thing because I'm probably going to go back to an SSRI and that's not healthy. So I did. Um, and I went and told them about it and then they prescribed me Trintelix. Now Trintelix is another SSRI and it did okay, I guess. Like I say, okay, it didn't work at all, but it didn't cause me, I guess okay for me is relative to, uh, how did, how much pain did it cause me? Trintelix didn't cause me really any pain, but it didn't help either. And my biggest issue with Trintelix was that not only did it not do anything for me, but it was a stupid expensive prescription for me. And so I was like, look, I'm not going to sit here and test this for weeks and weeks getting refills of the stupid expensive prescription when it barely even makes me feel cloudy, if anything else. Like, it's not working. It's not worth it. Um, they agreed and we're like, yeah, yeah, if it's not doing anything after, like, because I still, I tried it for a, a reasonable amount of time. It's not like a, because to me, the fixing and, and treating my mental health is absolutely invaluable. Like I'm bitching about an expensive prescription, but it, it, some days we're talking like feelings of life or death, right? That's how severe depression can get. And so it's like, would I rather never experience even the most slight intrusive thought of that? Or would I rather have less money? I would rather have less money and enjoy life. That's kind of where, where I'm at. And, and I can't always have that luxury in life. I don't know how life is going to go. And I recognize that, but if I can at least experience that at all, or maybe even just get the brain chemicals going in the right way, and maybe I don't have to take it forever. And my brain chemistry changes. There's a lot of possibilities, but my point is, is it's worth it to me while I'm in a state where I can tackle that challenge. It's 100% worth it. There's no cost I can possibly put on that. Um, that said, 
that uh, that one just wasn't it. It wasn't working after a couple of weeks. So we, we moved on and I went to Lexapro. Lexapro was also pretty tame. It didn't, didn't do anything for me, but it also didn't hurt too bad. I had like some mild headaches, but it wasn't doing a whole lot. And at this point I went to my therapist and was like, look, we've been through four different medications now. Uh, what are we doing here? And she was like, well, let's get you to see a psychiatrist because the psychiatrist is not only going to be able to prescribe you uh, a broader variety of medications, but they can keep you on them for longer and increase your dosages higher than uh, what your primary care physician is doing. Because your, your primary care physician is basically just trying to band-aid it and see if something will stick quick. But otherwise, they're not authorized to increase your dosage and they're going to make sure if something's working or not working that they get you off of it so you're not dependent on something that you don't need. Right. But a psychiatrist is supposed to be able to analyze you a little bit more and uh, cater the medication to your specific case. So I found a psychiatrist by recommendation of my therapist and we started working with them and they were pretty good at first. And I have a whole other thing about communication as we go. But basically what they did was prescribe me Prozac. And when we talked about the plan for it, we said, okay. We're going to prescribe you at a low dosage and we're going to sit you on that for like a month or two and see where you end up. If you have any immediate issues, you know, call up and we'll get you off of it. But otherwise, stick it out and see where we go. Well, Prozac felt about the same as Lexapro to me. It didn't really do anything, but it didn't hurt that much either. It hurt a little bit more than Lexapro, but not like an unbearable amount. I took it for so long that I eventually got used to some of those side effects with the headaches. And that's that's usually what I mean by hurt. There was some kind of physical uh, head pain of some sort, whether it was numbing or painful or sharp or dull, there was always something related to it. Um, and so I went back and, uh, this is over the course of several months, but I went back and then I, they increased my doses. Okay, well, it's not hurting you. So let's increase it and keep you on it for longer and see what's up. So we did that. Then I went and we evaluated it. It was still much more of the same. So we increased it one more time and went through it. And then the last time, instead of increasing it, we moved me to a new medication and I'll, I'll talk about that next here in a minute, but basically Prozac didn't work for me. And I tried it for a very, uh, extended period of time. And I still had the Xanax to kind of help do the transitions and help, uh, help, uh, kind of neuter the anxiety a little bit more. But ultimately it seems like my psychiatrist didn't really care for me being on Xanax. So he's kind of trying to move in a different direction. So that's where my new medication comes in. So uh, recently I had an appointment and, and basically the conclusion was, uh, we're going to get you off the Prozac and you're going to start on, um, uh, Paxil. And in addition to the Paxil, I'm going to prescribe you Rimeron. So Paxil is another SSRI, just like all the others. And Rimeron is another antidepressant. I think it's technically an SSRI, but it's mostly built for sleep. And that's kind of, I was telling him about my insomnia and he was trying to figure out like a good solution because instead of relying on Xanax to help you get to sleep, uh, if I'm not having increased panic attacks, then I don't really need the Xanax and I shouldn't use it as a sleep aid unless I just happen to have it. So he was like, let's, let's not do that. Let's do the Rimeron instead because it's supposed to act as an antidepressant and we'll go from there. So I have not started my Paxil yet. I will be starting that uh, this coming week. I don't know when this episode is coming out, but I'll be starting it soon after I publish this. And uh, the plan and the idea was when my therapist and I decided, let's get you off of all medication for a couple weeks and baseline you. So I had to come down off of uh, Prozac. And then this past week, I've been completely off of it. I don't have any more of the side effects of withdrawals and all that kind of stuff. So I'm off of it. Um, and I'm waiting to start the Paxil after I have like a baseline of how I feel now. Uh, the good news is uh, nothing terrible. The bad news is everything's terrible because it's back to normal. It's 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 not really that much different than when I was on antidepressants. I think the biggest description I had was my brain felt cloudy when I was on antidepressants and it feels open now. And that's not really a positive or negative thing on each side. It's just that when I have thoughts kind of coming and going in my brain, if my brain's cloudy, I can't see them before they come. If I have kind of a spacey brain though, I still see them. Now they come either way and I have to experience those thoughts and, and, and make decisions and think about those things regardless. It's just, can I see them uh, with some kind of foresight in my brain to know what I'm thinking about before I actually begin thinking about it, if that makes any sense. That's, I guess that's how my brain works. I, I Brains are so weird. Like I'm over here telling you how my brain works and like some of you may be able to relate 
and and most of you are probably like my brain doesn't work like that i i I think like this or maybe you do relate because you have think thought like i have before but it's not a common thing i don't know side tangent but uh point is is that i haven't i haven't started the paxel yet but i will be starting the uh or i have started the rimeron i only took it one day but the rimeron the good news is after not sleeping much like maybe four hours in the last two weeks i guess eight hours four hours per week try to be a little bit nice to myself but um after i mean still very little sleep no matter how many hours i add on to that it's not enough but uh basically i took the rimmer on and it knocked me out which is great that's the good news bad news is i felt like total shit the next fucking day it was like i was the groggiest human being in the world i i did sleep through the night but i had awful nightmares and i was still exhausted um dry mouth uh just headaches all the all the not all the side effects but but all the the worst physical side effects is what i felt after taking the rumor on now the good news is the rumor on is just an as needed thing i'm not supposed to take it every single day it's just if i'm not sleeping for a week uh, then I should probably take it. And honestly, the side effects are not that bad compared to actually getting a night's worth of sleep, uh, except for the nightmares. But that's normal for me, so that's probably a trauma thing I need to work out. Um, but aside from that, and in terms of it practically getting me to sleep, it worked pretty good. So I'm going to keep that around and see if I still need it after a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, so I've only taken one of those and tried it out. I want to try to avoid taking that unless I really need to, but I am glad I have it as a tool. And the Paxil, we'll see how it goes. And if it goes good, then I'll report back. If not, then uh, that's kind of the next thing I want to talk about is my personal direction from here. So it really goes one of two ways. It goes in the direction where I take the Paxil and it works. And hallelujah, I have treatment for my depression and we should all be excited. And the podcast is over. I'm just kidding. I'll keep the podcast going. But um, it's either that or it doesn't work and I come off the meds. And that's kind of where we're leaning right now. So um, there's a couple of reasons for that. So let's talk about um, communication with your psychiatrist and your therapist or any medical professional you're doing dealing with your mental health. So I'm at this crossroads now and I don't know where I'm going to end up until I experience the, this last medication, but basically there are only like, I don't know, a handful more of SSRIs, maybe three to five, if I'm being generous, uh, left for me to try. I've been through the gamut at this point and I've tried all the major ones or I will have. Um, and there are a couple left and I'm sure there are new ones coming out all the time, but pretty much at this point, if, if six different ones didn't work, why would the seventh work? And part of me is like, oh, well, don't you want to try one more time? Because maybe this is the magic pill for you. And there's like this desire for for a cure. But uh, ultimately, reason comes to mind and be like, yeah, but chemically and scientifically, these things are all doing very similar things, which has been proven not to work for you. And you have tried over and over and over again, very strongly, very committedly, and with a clear and level head to combat your your uh, lack of mental health uh, and then to to give it some support so um one of the biggest issues i've had in this with all of this has been communication with the medical professionals so my therapist and i have i've raved and raved and raved about how good our relationship is and that's true but when it came to my primary care physician they really cared about my mental health but they that's not their area so it's not like they can sit there and listen to me like a therapist because they're not a therapist so they can only work with me so much and for so long for certain substances so even though in their heart of hearts maybe they care and want to get me especially my my lpn that was working with me she was always very kind um she she really was sad when i told her about what i was experiencing she's like dang i i mean here's all i can do and so I've, I felt they genuinely cared, but there's a limitation on what they can do. So even though the communication was there, the resources are not uh, up to standard for what I need care for, even though they did try. Um, when it came to my psych, though, your psychiatrist, the whole point of going is they're a specialist at this. They are supposed to be listening to you. Now, they're not your therapist, so they're not going to give you a whole one-on-one therapy session. But for the first chunk of the session they do need to get an idea of how you're doing mentally. And that's essentially therapy. Um, and they're supposed to take that information they give you 
and use that to prescribe your medication or figure out your treatment plan. So the first time I went, um, my psychiatrist seemed like a pretty cool guy. He, and I, I still think that he's, he's a pretty nice guy. He seems very smart, very knowledgeable. Um, and he, he listened to me a, a little bit about my diagnosis from my therapist's perspective and kind of just went into the Prozac and re-upped the Xanax. And that was kind of it after the first one. But the overall, it went well. It was a good introductory thing to get a plan. It's like, here's how we're going to do this. We're going to keep you on this for a longer amount of time than what you've been experiencing from these other medicines. We want to really give you a good go at trying to feel better. And that boosted my, my confidence in him a fair bit. But ever since I went back, every single time, he didn't really listen to me. And... There was even one time where we kind of had, I wouldn't say we butt heads because I kind of just shut my mouth and let him talk, Uh, but he seemed kind of old-fashioned when it came to um, various substances, specifically marijuana. He was was talking, he was basically trying to make sure that I wasn't mixing substances I didn't need to mix while I'm trying to undergo treatment, which I agreed with. That is kind of where we ended up, which I'm glad I didn't say anything because we ultimately agreed, but his reasoning was very old fashioned. He, he had very limited data in referencing the health effects of stuff like marijuana or even other drugs, but marijuana was the specific thing he harped on, um, and saying that it it negatively impacts your stream. And um, that's kind of up for debate right now. It's kind of being researched. So you can't just blanket say that. I mean, the, the, the research that he's basing it off of is the only established research that we had, but it's old now. And there are plenty of papers citing different effects. And that's kind of where I, I get my conclusion of these things affect different people and different chemistries differently. You can't just blanket rule out one thing or the other. But that said, while he went on his crusade of, of anti-drugs to prescribe me a drug, uh, he, (laughs) He ultimately was like, basically, I just want to make sure you're not doing anything to inhibit this, uh, the progress. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that I agree with. I don't want to do anything unnecessary that's going to jeopardize this. I'm, of course, I'm not going to do anything stupid until I know how this affects me. Um, and that's kind of where we ended up. But he, he just went on a kind of weird crusade with that. And it bothered me a little bit. It bothered me so much I went back to talking therapy about it. And I got over it eventually. But it's notable because uh, of how things went from there on out. He would always... he be anywhere from 15 to even 30 minutes late for our hour appointment uh, and leave us with 30 minutes. 10 of that, I would uh, try to talk to him about what's going on. In the last 20, he would ask me questions about random stuff and prescribe me my medication. And like random stuff, I mean like about work. And uh, like it seemed like he was trying to um, dig deeper from what I described to him when, when I talked to him, but at the same time, it also just seemed like he was just trying to get to know me. I couldn't tell. It was, it's very, and when you can't tell if you're being treated or just being quizzed and, uh, on your personal life, it's, it's very annoying. And so I, I think it was a better both. Like I, I credit his professionalism and maybe he was just making me feel comfortable, but I wasn't comfortable. So, um, and I, I it didn't feel like how, that normally feels as somebody who goes to therapy frequently, but I digress. I kind of kept pushing on and, uh, it wasn't until this last time where he was literally so late that the meeting was, I talked for five minutes and my whole goal, this is what really sucks. My whole goal was I told therapists about how I didn't feel heard. And so then I was trying to make him hear me. And before I could get to the point of, Hey, I'm telling you all these things I would like to dive deeper before I could do that in a polite way. He was already prescribing me the next medication and that rubbed me super wrong. So I just kind of kept quiet and, and listened to what he had to say and kind of moved on from there. But ultimately I don't feel like I'm getting the treatment I deserve. And when I empathize with the situation, I, I realize that I am a high functioning individual and he probably sees people who are in much dire straits than I am in a physical sense every single day maybe they're addicts maybe they are actively suicidal like he's got some serious patients to deal with and i understand that i understand that he may see me as high functioning and be like okay so i can just give this guy some pills and he's smart he'll figure it out and move on and he's not wrong but if i wanted that 
then I would just stick with my primary care physician and tell them what to do. And they just prescribe me medication. I'm coming here for guidance on top of that. I didn't, I already had somebody to give me pills. I don't need any more of that. I need somebody to give me pills with purpose and, uh, and listen to what's going on. And he was kind of failing at doing that. So if this medication works, then I'll probably stick it out with them and, and build that communication as we go. Cause I still feel like that's something that's redeemable. Like I said, I, th- I think he's a great person. I just think I've had some hiccups in my actual patient care, which has nothing to do with his personality and everything to do with our, our, uh, patient doctor relationship. So that that's kind of where we'll go from there. I have no problem trying to improve that communication. I don't have any problems with him as an individual, um, but if all I'm doing is paying him upwards of hundred dollars for uh, a medication consultation for five minutes, then I'm good. Especially if the medicine doesn't work or primarily if the medicine doesn't work, because if it does work, I'd want to stick it out. If it doesn't work, then I'm done. I'm not going to take any more medication, at least for now. And I will work with my therapist to figure out what alternatives we have, whether that is going to a different psych and trying again or whether that's laying off the medication for a while and seeing what progress I make off of it. Um, it, There's a lot of variables there. And so that's my personal direction kind of from here and and how that that works. So uh, what am I doing to balance the help now? Um, So I need to really focus in on um, making sure I, I do interface with my therapist in a consistent and effective manner and really hone in on core problems. So that's going to be the challenge here. That's going to be the balance is figuring out what the core problems are and balancing which ones are a priority to deal with in the present moment. And um, I have a good idea. I think I think between her and I, we've gotten a good idea of, of what needs to be tackled as we've been going. And obviously we don't know the answers to everything that's part of the process, but um the balance there is I need to make sure I'm maintaining that. And then if I do have to search for, for a psychiatrist or if I'm building the relationship with the psychiatrist from there, I need to um, balance those things accordingly and make sure I'm getting all the help we need. So in my case, like I said, maybe my psychiatrist is dealing with much worse cases, but I still deserve proper treatment. Like just because I'm not out on the street smoking crack every day, doesn't mean that I am also not dealing with the same pain, mentally speaking, that somebody else is dealing with. Now, they, they may have uh, other extracurricular uh, circumstances that make them a dire objective case, and I recognize that. Um, but if that's the case, then those people need to be treated there, and I need to be able to get treatment somewhere else that can focus on me that's not helping those people and, and they deserve help just as much as I do I think is what I'm getting at and um, I, I because I can't help myself with these issues there are practical things that those other people need help with uh, that are not directly related to the mental health and resolving them would Im- ultimately improve their mental health but it's not that simple when you're dealing with mental health issues that keep you from being successful and so like I, I fully empathize with stuff like that but I can't and this is some just general advice for everyone out there. Just because you empathize and understand that somebody is maybe even objectively worse off, that doesn't mean you don't deserve help too. You are a human being that is important and they're human beings that are important too. And we all deserve the same level of treatment for what our needs are. And as someone with depression, that's hard to admit. Um, and I feel very pained by that. And so it's not until I take a step back and really be like, do I deserve this? My brain wants to tell me no, but I'm like, no, yeah, I do. The fact that my brain is telling me no means I need the, the help that I, that I'm trying to cultivate here. So there's a lot of balancing there that I haven't honestly quite figured out yet, but I feel like I'm making some good progress, at least in therapy. And that, that is something that I want to encourage of everybody is just be knowledgeable of where you're at. Be like I've said before, be self-aware to a point that makes sense, not in arrogance, not in pride, but aware, especially if you have mental health issues, the benefit of self-awareness is that you can be like, oh, I'm depressed and that's my depression right now. I'm aware of that. That's not me. That's my mental thing. And you may not be in control. You know, some people who maybe have manic episodes can at least be like, oh shit, I'm having a manic episode. Uh, I know I'm having a manic episode because I'm self-aware, but I can't necessarily get out of it. So I still have to experience my manic episode, but at least to other people, I can be like, oh, okay, I'm doing this because I'm experiencing this and I'm aware of it. Um, so I'm just making you aware of it too. And that's really 
super that's a superpower for those that can do it and i've only met a handful of people who can and i'm blessed to be one of the people who who can have that level of self-awareness as well because you don't end up hurting other people when you do that you can just be like hey uh i'm not going to project this onto you i'm legitimately depressed today and not having a good time it has nothing to do with you and i'm going to be happy around you and interface with you in a proper way because i'm aware that my issues are to do with me and you don't deserve to be impacted by that unless you choose to be. So, because um, I mean, that's what I pay for therapy for. I'm not going to pay my friends. If they want to hear me out, they can hear me out if they're my friends. Um, so that there's just a lot of, lot of balance and a lot of things I've learned and a lot of attributes I've had to become acclimated to. And it's not been easy. And especially jumping through the medication, that's another good thing about being self-aware is whenever you are dealing with things like side effects or withdrawals, um, you can at least be like, oh shit, that's the medication. Now that's a great segue because, uh, how the hell have I dealt with withdrawals popping between all these medications? Well, I alluded to before that Xanax helped a lot at the early stages, but I had to stop relying on that at some point. Um, and I, I think the best training I got was off of the Lexpro and the Prozac, um, because, especially after the Prozac because that was my, my full um, coming off completely in this past week, not just transitioning. But the the Xanax really helped a lot when I was bouncing immediately between medications. But between Lexapro and Prozac, I had a little bit of a break. And I did have some Xanax if I needed it, but I tried to stick to only taking that with anxiety symptoms as I needed it because uh, that's what it's made for. Um, but I started to develop a sense of, oh, this is a symptom from withdrawing off the medication. Once I'm off of it completely, it's going to go away. And that happened on the Lexapro. I would just be, if I got irritable or sadder or experienced just any kind of irritation or pain that seemed extensive, I would take a step back and be like, do I actually feel that way? Or is this artificial from the medication? And it's hard to do. But I, uh, after bouncing between all these medications and especially experiencing something like taking Xanax in between where it kind of chills you out, you're able to take those steps back and be like, oh, I don't actually feel this way all the time. Look, I can change my brain chemistry and things have numbed out a little bit. And how do I actually feel now that I'm in a more familiar state? Like when on Xanax, I'm kind of zoned out and stoic. So it's like, okay. I know that's the Xanax. What do I actually feel and think now, now that I have space and room to breathe? Uh, and that helps you realize that, oh, those irritating feelings, that's because I was going through a withdrawal off the SSRI. That makes sense. Um, and so especially now off the Prozac, I haven't done anything really to supplement helping. You know, I've maybe uh, as, as it's gotten completely out of my system, I've had a few more drinks than normal and I've, I've had uh, a little more, uh, uh, more frequent party days, but I've not taken like any hard drugs and I've not done anything super out there or super frequently. Um, and I, I tend to keep a pretty level head and reasonable. Like I consider myself a pretty, uh, healthy person when it comes to, to those kind of things. Uh, I like to have fun, but I don't like to be an idiot. Um, and that's, that's, some, that's a, a harder line to balance than it sounds, but, um, for me, I'm, I'm really comfortable there. And coming down, especially this week, has been enlightening that that is the process, is that all of the week before, anytime I felt irritated or sadder or anything, any negative thing, I would step back and be like, oh, okay, is this the medicine? And what helps me do is it doesn't take away the pain. <laughs> that uh, You have to deal with, with the withdrawal symptoms, especially the physical side. Regardless, there's no getting rid of that unless you have a way to supplement that or something to help you assist, which in my case, I didn't. Um, but what I was able to do is not take that out on other people. So like, uh, it would have been the dumbest thing ever. This the, the One of the people I'm talking to now romantically is just a wonderful person. If she had texted me and I was in a foul mood because of my SSRI uh, withdrawal and I had said something stupid, I would have felt like such an idiot. But what I can do is she can come to me with an issue and I can be like, oh, crap, I feel like shit. Uh, who's this on? Oh, it's on me because uh, I'm going through the withdrawal and I can kind of keep that not keep it to myself, but I can kind of keep that away from impacting her and look at her situation objectively and be like, oh, okay, here's what we're talking about. Let me interface with this and then go take 
my own withdrawal symptoms offline because it has nothing to do with this other person. That's all within me and all based on my actions, my choices, uh, and dealing with medication. So that's been just super powerful uh, as withdrawal advice. It's just basically sheer willpower. It's easier said than done, but I've had a lot of practice with it, which is why it's easy for me, or it's not easy, but it's manageable for me. And self-awareness is the big key there is to be able to, like I said, you're not going to take away the pain. So there's still a perseverance and endurance aspect that that, that is going to be painful. Like take some Tylenol if you can take some Tylenol. If you're on a benzo that's meant to help with this kind of stuff, take it. If you have another medication that's meant to help with this, take it. Like don't, don't remove all your tools if you have them available. But if you don't, like I did this, this past time, um, that self-awareness is the tool. Self-awareness is... Being able to say, oh, this is the medicine, it's not me. Let me abstract this and handle it and isolate it on its own. So yeah, that's been my ugh, my journey and experience with antidepressants. And it seems like it's coming to a close here soon. Um, I'll keep everyone posted and hopefully I'll have another episode out sooner than later. But um, I, I do, I legitimately hope the Paxil works. I'm just doubt it will i don't have a lot of faith in it but i am hopeful if that makes any sense because obviously i want it i want it to work <laughs> i'm on i'm on team paxel right now let's go um but it's it's also I, based on my prior experience I, i'm not expecting my expectations are low but my hope is high so we'll see see where that goes and either i'll be kanye west in it in the next couple of weeks or we'll be on uh some some new meds and hopefully they work but regardless we're going to keep the podcast going, keep talking about uh, anything from mental health to uh, spirituality to philosophy. If there's a cool topic that you're interested in, somebody you want me to interview, music you want me to show, you you all know. I, I say you all know the drill. I've advertised this like maybe twice. Uh, just shoot me an email or an Instagram message. It's uh, echoes.box on Instagram. It's uh, echoboxpodcast at gmail.com is the email. Um, wherever you find us, YouTube comments, whatever, I'll, I'll check them when I can. And if you've got any suggestions, recommendations, guests, etc., uh, toss them our way. But otherwise, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I hope it was beneficial. And I hope you learned something about uh, SSRIs and how they, they can impact people. And, and you know, whatever from my shared experience here. Always hope it's good. Uh, if not... You know, uh, I don't know how the rating systems on anything work. Leave a fucking thumbs down if you hate it, yo. Uh, have a good one, everyone. Can't take this life from me. We'll take this life from me. So